The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Dane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast and of course the absolute toast of London's glittering West End, all brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, joining me, your host Danny Kelly, up for a BAFTA after Wednesday night's live performance, are The Athletic's Charlie Eckershire and James Moore, themselves both up for Tony Awards, following treading the stage. Good morning everybody. On today's episode we'll discuss uh, the Tim Spears derby and how Spurs cope with that key players in Saturday's turned out to be a defeat to Wolves and we'll take some more of your questions uh, first of all uh, as all serious thank you to everybody who came to the live show um, sorry for those who couldn't get tickets um, we will be trying to do some more in 2024 so stay tuned uh, for that Tim is off gallivanting in Lisbon um, for a derby there and they had another uh, two goal stoppage turnaround in extra time Benfica um, winning the game against Sporting in the last few seconds. Charlie, your match piece discussed um, maybe this was evidence that the Postacoglu project is still a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, I think the last week has reminded us that the, the first 11 already looks like a Postacoglu team, but the squad really is a relic of previous eras. I mean, one player, one outfielder who Postacoglu signed started or featured at all in this game, uh, that was Brennan Johnson, who scored. Obviously, Vicario in goal as well. But otherwise, we were mainly talking about players, um, you know, signed by other managers with quite different specifications. You, you, particularly, you look at the four players who came in. Uh, Emerson Royale, is he a Postacoglu player? Probably not, but he's so adaptable and solid that he's kind of fine, can do a job, no issues there. Dyer Davis and Hoybier, I don't imagine any of them will be long for the Postacoglu project. Um, you know, Dyer will go at the end of the season. I'd be very surprised if Hoybier was still there next season. Davis will probably stay until his contract expires in 2025. Maybe he'll go before, but you know, and he he's another kind of solid, very solid, dependable performer. And I thought he played very well uh, for the most part on Saturday. But look, you know, Postecoglou's been there a few months. The teams above Spurs have managers who've been in place for eight years, seven years, and nearly four, and and they've got squads very much in their own image. This isn't yet Postecoglou's squad. That's not to say you should, you know, you once you have a few injuries, oh, well, then, yeah, of course, it's fine to lose every game. This was a really, really disappointing defeat. But, yeah, that was kind of the context I was trying to offer. Well, and what about the game itself, James? Let's, let's have an overview of what actually happened in the match. James, for, the, for those of you not watching, uh, he's just removed his head from his hands and he's now pulling up his sleeves in the, in the manner of a docker about to start a row. This was the game, I think, where the, the where Antwoord caught up with Spurs more than Chelsea, uh, and I'd be interested to hear your takes on this. And Charlie and I have often spoken before we record a podcast, but this morning we haven't, so I'd be interested to see what he thinks. The second Sariba equalised. I my my thought process was right. Go beat. Wolves probably deserve that. That's quite annoying, but a draw isn't a terrible result. You look at their recent home form, they beat Man City, they've drawn with Villa and Newcastle. This is a bit annoying, but fine. Beat. Spurs are going to lose this game trying to win, aren't they? And that is exactly what happened. 
Uh, I'm really, really annoyed. We'll come back to how well they played for 90 minutes, which actually I thought was not great, but like in the circumstances, like acceptable to me. That kind of 30 seconds in the build-up to the second goal really crystallised. In a way, what Charlie said about the players not all being suited to the system, but also the massive risk you take when you play like that. Uh, that the midfield was so congested. The ball's like in the in the very middle of the pitch. I mean, Spurs end up with a free kick, which the Hoiberg then absolutely like wellies into Bentinker's shin for some reason. Uh, I mean, I think Spurs gave the ball away twice in about 15, 20 seconds before Wolves had the ball. Uh, and because Emerson Royale has come inside into midfield, one, that's made it incredibly congested in there and basically meant Spurs couldn't get the ball out because they won't just bang it over to someone. They'll, they'll try and play through. And two, he isn't then in position at left back to stop Saraiba now out on the right wing from getting down towards a penalty area and crossing the ball to um, Lamina in the last second of the game. So if Spurs at that point had lined up with more conventional back four and everyone was in a, their kind of defensive mindset and they were kind of happy for the draw and just playing out the game, I definitely think they would have got a point. I, I mean, maybe you could even say that about the first goal where... Dyer has kind of tried to ha- to try to play that ball down the line, where otherwise I think either he may have like turned back or, or Vicario could have just gone long straight away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't need as much validation as other colleagues here on the View from the Lane most weeks, and having been having been soundly and roundly booed, which is a good my thing. View, it is just as well, isn't it? Uh, soundly and roundly booed um, by the audience at the live event. Um, and I'm not saying uh, I, I'm right or anything here, but that's you edging towards perhaps a little bit more pragmatism, particularly when you've got a, essentially a second eleven out there. Is that right, James? I think I think in certain circumstances, and look, I mean, you, uh, we kind of said this last week, you can't immediately abandon it at the first sign of trouble. And that, I guess, still rings true now, as, as much as it did a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Uh, so it would kind of be churlish to say, oh, they should have banged it long at 1-0. But... I do think for the second goal in the last 30 seconds of the game, you're, you're under strength and you've had to make loads of changes within the game as well. So you're even more like far removed from what we know is the strongest 11. To just be slightly more conservative uh, and slightly more pragmatic in those last 30 seconds rather than trying to play through a really congested midfield and lose the ball and end up conceding quite a avoidable second goal, really. But you know, you, you, your, your analysis is, is correct, but it, as well as systems, it's about people, isn't it? It's about, yeah, oh, oh yeah, exactly. It is, about, it is about a poor execution of that system, but you have to be realistic about the ability of the players in the system at that moment in the game. But even beyond that, there is just what people do. The equaliser, which was a fantastic take once he gets the ball to him, it was just it was the echo of everything that was wrong with the with the defence in the collapsing end of last season. In that Eric Dyer, um, who you know I'm, I've got a lot of time for, he found himself miles out of position for reasons, and then the ball falls in the exact spot that I believe is Pedro Porro's weak spot. That that spot ten yards out. On the edge of the six-yard box, you know, in line with the six-yard box, the number of goals Spurs conceded from that exact piece of the pitch last season because Pedro hasn't got the instinct to be under the ball there. Now, I don't know where he was on the pitch at the time. There may be a really good reason why he was marking somebody else or whatever. But that goal, I've seen it again and again and again with Spurs. I did ask, by the way, about Poscoglu, but I said, you know, there were a few quick free kicks towards the end where you lost the ball. Was that frustrating? 
And he said, no, no, that didn't frustrate me at all. That's part of our football. From my perspective, that wasn't the stuff, dot, dot, dot. As I said, I thought there were times, particularly in the first half, when we had really good control of the game and could have been a little bit more positive with our play. So unsurprisingly, he's kind of doubling down and saying, you know, what, what annoyed him more was the times where they weren't more aggressive and front-footed. And I guess that's always going to, this is always going to be um, a point of conflict, especially when results aren't great, is that there are going to be times when James and others say, you know, they get that they get what Postacoglu is trying to do and they understand that with the right personnel, that it's very doable. Spurs have shown that. But does there come a time where you need to be a bit more pragmatic, especially when, I mean, that team was kind of a Carabao Cup team by the end. You know, it it really was sort of miss, missing a lot of players. I think there's a difference between, and it's easy for me to say this because it's what, I, it's what I've just said over the last two or three podcasts. But I th- I, but I think, <laughs> because I've already said it. <laughs> but I think there's a big difference between abandoning the tactics for like 40 minutes when you're probably going to lose anyway, i.e. down to nine men against Chelsea last week and in injury time with 11 men when you've got the lead or you're drawing 1-1 suddenly away from home in a quite tricky game. You don't think that sends a bit of a message of we'll do it until it gets tricky or we have a setback and then we abandon it? I mean, I don't think... I'm not suggesting like sitting 10 players behind the ball. I'm just sort of suggesting uh, like keep keep a slightly more sensible shape when there are still points in the, on the board for you to lose and you're at risk of losing them. I don't know. I just think you know from watching from, from watching football matches, you know when the momentum swings, and it was obvious that once Wolves had equalised, Spurs were going to be Spurs were going to be under the cosh for the last few minutes of the game. Like the momentum had completely swung, the atmosphere had completely changed. Suddenly, they had the wind in their sails, and the ball was quite likely to come back. And Spurs had dealt in, incredibly well with that for the most part, undeniably. But I think it would have just been. Sensible. And I mean, I, I'd love to know what Ange Postacoglu genuinely thinks about these things. And I, 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 this, isn't, this isn't a criticism, but I don't think we always get an entirely straight answer. And I, th- I think that's understandable. He said what he said for public consumption. I understand that. But the thing is, Charlie, um, he can say that that's just the way we play, mate, um, which, of course, is very like the baseball of England's cricket. Let's be truthful about that. The issue is he can't, he can't in his heart believe that that's going to do all the time, but here's the here's the simple reason: because he doesn't enjoy a personnel superiority as say he did at Celtic, where he had the best players in that league, and the coaches are allowed to react to what he's doing. So the, take away the result, take away one of the real problems Spurs had was their inverted fullbacks were being exposed and killed during the course of the game by Max Kilman and Craig Dawson banging the ball diagonally long, the number of times Spurs were stretched by a simple... I, know, I get it. Spurs are going to play one way, but they are allowed to exploit it then. They are allowed to see to see that's a team that has no width at the back. Um, so you bang the ball long out to wing-backs. And they did. Um, so I think, you know, he can make his... Uh, and, you know, if it's part of the process of training the players never to back down, then I am prepared to accept uh, that, even though, you know, sometimes it'll drive me a bit mad. Um, but the, the part of it was I felt a bit sorry for him because, you know, at the start of the game, it, if Johnson hadn't got that goal, we would have watched if the game and then I played out exactly as it did. We were watching Wolves essentially, uh, I, I wouldn't put capital D, but small d dominate uh, uh, the football match. So just to interject the throws, I, I don't think they were really in the game, but I also don't really think they were clinging on either. Like the game was for the most part like a non-event, really. It, they weren't like. 
You know, Wolves had all these terrible set pieces that they kept hitting into the first man. But they, they weren't like... Spurs were neither massively exposed by that high line, which obviously wasn't quite as high as it was against Chelsea, or, or, or like under a... Like, you know, penned in their own six-yard box, like having to head balls away. Like, Wolves were fairly profligate. But take the, the terrible... I mean, if any... If half those terrible set pieces are being converted into efforts... Spurs conceded 17 shots at goal, which is the only stat that I think is ever reliable in the Premier League. You're not going to survive 17 shots at goal because sooner or later, as we saw with the equaliser, somebody's going to do something of Premier League quality in front of your goal. Though, though they did concede 22 against United and kept a clean sheet. But, you know, I, I, I take your point. I, I, I'm kind of with James on this. And actually, I watched even I rewatched the last 10 minutes of it as in 80 to 90, so prize stoppage time. Wolves did very little. And, and and the way, you know, you get a feel for a game by how commentators are talking. They were very much talking as if the game was done. And I'm sure if you were watching that game as a neutral, you'd have been really bored and just thinking, oh, God, Wolves have actually done very little. Like, they've got their lots of territory. They, they did have those shots. Vicario made two saves. He made the one in the first half that was pretty comfortable going across him. I can't even remember what the other one was. So... And I kind of think if, you know, they have the set pieces, but I think if you've got Eric Dyer in your back four, you know, I'm sure he would have, I'm sure he would much prefer facing a load of set pieces than kind of intricate play when they're trying to get in behind. So, yes, I agree that Wolves did dominate in some senses, though I think Spurs had way more possession in the first half. Um, I, I didn't really feel like it was a siege and I and I felt pretty confident going into stuff. Like the game felt like it was petering out a little bit. Obviously, like you say, you're you know you you you're inviting danger to an extent if you sit off. But I don't know. Wolves are Wolves played well as well. You know they they're no mugs, as James said. They've got a good record at Molyneux, um, and I think they did well to keep Spurs pinned back. I, it, it's weird because I don't think we were we weren't far away from saying Spurs had to dig in. They were missing a load of players. Dyer Davis. Came in, yeah, and they're top, and and well done to all of those players. How would we be talking about that game and that performance if it, it had just petered out and they won one nil? I, I genuinely think we'd be talking about it as one of Spurs, like uh, uh, possibly incorrectly, we'd be talking about it as one of Spurs' <laughs> best ever Premier League results. That's how carried away we would have been. This just remind me of post Chelsea when Charlie was reminding us of the chances Spurs didn't take. Um, you know, the result stands. The result is what it is, um, and, and you're right. It does. Of course, it colours how you see the performance. Um, although I can see how the performance led to a result in this case. Um, just a, a tiny thing as well. You mentioned um, Eric Dyer heading the ball away. Um, it, by the end of the game, there was a, there was a physical la- mismatch as well on the pitch. Spurs' lack of physical power um, was extraordinary to see. I mean, as early as the, fir- the first corner, because no... Richarlison, who's got some height and is good in the air, the two centre-backs being out. We had to watch Hoiberg match um, marking Dawson, who is, if nothing else, very good in the air throughout the game. And then when they brought on Lo Celso and, uh, and Brian Hill, who I think I'm right saying Hill, Hill's two first possessions were ended by being knocked off the ball legally. I've just looked up the height differential between Hoiberg and Craig Dawson. What do you think it is? Two inches? No. Mm. This is according to Google, so you know, we have to no, factor in that. I'd say more. Five? One centimetre according to Google. No way. 
Well, that's what Google says. Hoiberg is surprisingly tall. He's about 5'11", isn't he? Yeah, I think... Yeah. He's also exactly the kind of person who would lie about his height. Yeah. Which leads us into <laughs> Hoiberg's performance. Because he he did some good things. I don't I don't want to make this a kind of ad hominem attack on Hoiberg. He, d- he did play well. He did some good things for the large part. And, and actually, to be fair to him, going forward as well, you know, it was him who... Did that nice one-two with Son and then and then set up Johnson for a chance that could have killed the game. And we should mention as well, Johnson could have killed the game there. Lacelso had that one that was tipped over. And at that point, Spurs maybe, you know, could have won 2 0. But he just I find him so frustrating. And there was a moment which kind of encapsulated this. In the 93rd minute, he he go first of all, in in the Wolves are attacking, and he gets sort of pushed off and he goes down, claiming he's been elbowed. Such a dereliction of duty because you're not going to get that kind of nonsense foul. Certainly not in the moment. It's just not, it just wasn't a foul. And he's appealing for that. Then he picks himself up and takes a stupid quick free kick. And you can say nothing wrong with taking a quick free kick. There's not if you get it right. He gets it wrong and then starts appealing to the ref saying, oh, actually, no, I don't think I did want to take a quick one. Can I have it again? It's so frustrating how he does stuff like that. It's just the constant posturing. And it's like he can't make his mind up. Do you want to be like a hard man or do you want to be a sort of Sergio Busquets wind-up merchant? Because you're trying to do both. You're both both the Viking, but you're also going down claiming nonsense fouls the whole time. I I think he'd be such a better player if he stopped doing all of that stuff and just concentrated on what he was doing. And then the goal as well. And again... Not necessarily his fault, but it comes from his pass to the Celso. The Celso loses it and gives away a free kick in the process. Wolves break and score. And and look, he as I say, it wasn't a terrible performance. He did well in the main, but it's just he I don't think he's a postacoglu player. There's a reason why he wanted to go in the summer and Spurs were willing to let him go. He's filling in. He's one of these players who I think will in years to come will be like, Oh yeah, did did he play under Postacoglu? Yeah, I think they did briefly overlap. He's such a relic from the kind of Mourinho Conte to an extent era. And I just don't think it quite fits. And the drop-off from, you know, Basuma in that role compared to him, we should talk about Basuma as well. Um, it, it's just huge. And and ultimately, that this is the point. Spurs have a really good team. Their squad isn't there yet. We, we knew this. We, we've been saying this for weeks and it's just been exposed in the most brutal way. The, I mean, the balance of that midfield was like a massive problem, isn't it? And Basuma played badly. And... I wouldn't want to suggest that was like down to other players because obviously, you know, he's been playing like well within himself since... The red card. Since the red card. And he's obviously been on that yellow card tightrope tight since then as well. Uh, but uh, there was just no... there was just, It never felt like there was like an out ball. Like Basuma would pick up the ball and like turn one way and then turn the other. But like there wasn't really ever anyone for him to give the ball to. And what he what he's done well is like pick the ball up uh, with his back facing goal, turn, turn an opposition player... And lay it off to another player in midfield and progress the ball out of the, ball, out of the pitch quickly. But it, the makeup of that midfield just wasn't right. Like Hoiberg was obviously coming deep so often. Uh, Saar, I think, was probably the best of the three in midfield. But he, even he was like really struggling to get the ball out of the pitch. And it, yeah, I, you know, I think I tweeted about Son on Saturday after the game, and I think we'll probably come on to this. He was incredibly ineffectual, and a lot of people replied to that tweet saying that was because of service, which is true. Uh, that was a big factor, but his touch was bad as well. I mean, and he made some really bad decisions too. Yes, the the, the midfield, the players are too similar. Um, you know, you need you need a bit of a mix and a match and pushing Saar forward. You know, er- everything is wrong. Would it have made more sense? I, I genuinely, I mean, maybe this has been wise after the event, but would it have made more sense just to like put put Hoiberg in for Madison and just and just say 
he's going to try and do Madison's up. And he's obviously not as good, but we know he's not dreadful, like, going forward. You know, he plays as a number eight for Denmark, scores, you know, scored a reasonable number of goals. Isn't bad, you know, he's played some incredibly good... What was the game... Was it at Old Trafford he played that amazing ball to Aurier, I think? Yeah, In, in yeah. the sixth one. He's like he's like capable of playing some good passes. Obviously, he's and not he scored James quite Madison. a few last season, to be fair yeah. to him. But, uh, you know, I, I just think, like, leaving the other two in their established roles and getting Hoiberg to do <laughs> stuff further up the pitch where he can do less damage. If you're going to do that and you're going to play Hoiberg as a kind of... You know the, the the link. You might as well you might as well pick the Celso, who who at least ha, at least has the the, the skill set to do some of that. Um, let's talk about the forward line because um, the goal was fantastic. Let's be absolutely straight about it. the goal was fantastic. The drag pass by Kulusevski to Poro, um, just great. Loved that. Absolutely brilliant. And if we could have had ninety minutes of that and won seventeen nil, I'd have been a lot happier. Um, but that's not what happened. And you know, personnel. The way the team set up, the forward line became disconnected from the rest of the team, didn't it? Let's be truthful about that. And I think I'm right in saying, Charlie, you'll know um, from the goal to about the 80th minute, Spurs had no, no other shot on target. Johnson's second shot was the only shot on target they had. You mean Lacelso? Sorry, Lacelso. Beg your pardon. Which was a good shot, by the way. Best part of 80 minutes without without uh, uh, threatening their goal. So after Spurs' opening goal, Wolves then had the next nine shots in the game. Yeah. Um, which speak, speaks of something, doesn't it? Um, and, you know, all kinds of issues. Brandon Johnson, we're waiting for him to, you know, he, he did he did very well at the goal and he gets across his defender, which is, you know, a beautiful thing. Um, Kulisevsky had one of those games where his physical strength um, and willingness just didn't quite get him away from the Wolves players. Um, but the the... The obvious, if not, I'm not blaming anyone personally here, but the obvious flaw is that Son is wasteful with the ball uh, when he's facing facing his own goal. His touch, his trick, his vision means that Spurs lose the ball. Again, you can't, if you exaggerate, Opta will tell you you're wrong, but it looks like half the time that he gets the ball. <laughs> with their fat, with their pesky <laughs> facts. <laughs> yeah, but as we know, Charlie, facts aren't the truth, are they? You can know all the facts without missing the truth of something. Um, it's like knowledge and wisdom. They are they are very not true. always a very comfortable bedfellows. The truth is the, the, the moves break down around Son. Don't mind that on the edge of the box because you've got to try something to make this shot. Halfway into into the opposition half, it, it, I thought the turnovers were poor from Spurs and the, the forwards just never got going. Is that fair? I mean, I think we talked earlier in the season about Richarlison and offered mitigation in the fact that in this system, and this had been seen at Celtic previously as well, the central forward gets very few touches of the ball. And obviously Son as a finisher is incredibly clinical and, and is constantly uh you know, you know, outscoring XG. So you would expect if he's getting the ball in the right areas, he's still gonna score goals. And that has been the case through the season up to now. But in this game where Spurs were like struggling to get the ball up the pitch, he was having to come deeper to get the ball. And, you know, as you mentioned, Danny, he's not great with his back to goal. He's not great when he's really got to drop off and like hold people off and, you know, play little knockdowns or knockbacks or whatever. And yeah, it wasn't really a game that suited him. And it did make me think, well, the two things I thought, well, one, this would have been a great game for Richarlison. It would have been a really, really, really good game. It, even if only in the, like the last 20 minutes, like his physicality would have been incredibly helpful, like spread the game, not the ball to him. 
shift up the pitch a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, and I also think it would have been a possibility of him like getting a goal as well. I think it was felt like that kind of game where he would have made a real difference, but you know that it wasn't to be. Uh, and two, the other thing I thought was this was actually game was that game twelve of the Premier League season. That was the first time that I thought Spurs missed Harry Kane. That was a that was a first game where I think he would have made a difference. I can imagine how he would have played against Chelsea. He'd have got the second goal. Well, he would have done all that Richarlison stuff. He would have been able to hold the ball up or whatever yeah. as well. And the, I mean, the whole thing is different if he plays. And then, like, if, if, if Kane is there, Son plays instead of Johnson out wide. Does Johnson play? Does Son score the goal? Who knows? So it's all completely different. So it's kind of moot. But you, you could see that physicality in the attacking third. And you know, you mentioned uh, Kulusevski, and he did an amazing job in another away game when they were up against it at Luton, uh, holding the ball up and being incredibly strong and like stretching the game. But for whatever reason, and I suspect down to the quality of the defenders he's up against, probably, uh, or, or the aggression in the, in their defending, he wasn't able to do that in this game. And he didn't have Madison to try and find him. I don't think it's a coincidence. Or, or, or by the way, Romero as well, by the way, whose distribution from the back is incredibly good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're talking here about first game missing Kane. It's also the first game they didn't have Madison, who, you know, has filled a lot of that burden. Obviously, we're talking about missing a different element of Kane. But I do think as well, you know, th- this was... And it was probably you know, Arsenal aside. This was Spurs' hardest away game so far. They've they've had you know if you think that the away games they've had have been Palace, Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, Brentford. Brentford may be comparable with Wolves, but I think Wolves, Brentford this season aren't quite what they are. Yeah, Wolves feels uh, uh, just kind of atmospherically like a more difficult game. Yeah, and I, it was really early on that it became apparent that this was going to be one of those games. You know, we've always known this about Son that he's. You know, let, let's not pretend he's anything other than a world-class player. But he's he's not scored against Wolves ever, has he? That's what they were saying. There you go. So was that was that going to be your point, Charlie? Sorry, <laughs> that he's never scored against Wolves. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've, that's always been the talking point of his career. The one thing missing. Oh, uh, you weren't watching the game on TNT, mate. That's your problem. <laughs> that got mentioned about fifteen times. Don't get me started about the post-match analysis. And now Spurs fans know they're not going to win the title. Shut up, Joe. Joe Cole. You were the one who said they were going, they could win the title. Not Spurs fans. We should talk about that because I think there's been, obviously when you have a week like this, there's a lot of recriminations and I think there's a lot of anger at the suggest, you know, at people for kind of overinflating expectations and then just so that they could then delight in the fact that, you know, because no, no, you know, no Spurs fans were really saying we're going to win the league. It was, you know, they were enjoying being top. Why not? But I do, and I think really everyone was basically in agreement that if they kept their 11 fit the whole season which was never going to happen but if that happened they could have a great season I think that's that's true obviously they were always going to have some injuries but it's been catastrophic you know that that this week has really been I don't think anyone was saying like they'll be fine until they lose two of their best players for two months and they get another couple of their best players banned like that's not that's not normal. That's not what you expect to happen. You expect, yeah, they're, they're going to start to have to miss games and it'll be interesting to see how they cope with it. This has clearly been extreme. And yeah, now obviously things look very different, but I don't think it was foolish of people to be saying Spurs have started brilliantly and if they get lucky with injuries, as teams do, that happens. And if they get to keep playing something close to their first eleven until January when they can strengthen, they could have a great season. Yeah, yes, the centre-back situation, we've been saying it. It was a ticking time bomb, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so the 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 decision because they got offered decent money um, from Galatasaray for Sanchez, um, 
it, it, of course, now it looks terrible. In retrospect, it looks terrible. But you know, well, well, we talked about this at the time it happened, and, and I, 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 I can't really remember, but I assume you and I are in agreement, Danny. It's, it's selling Davinson Sanchez, and what was the fee, Charlie? Is that twelve, thirteen million? Right. I, I, and I mean, look, this is an obvious point, but that's a decent amount of money for a player like Sanchez. But if if selling him and not having him in a squad now was the difference between Spurs finishing third or fourth or sixth or seventh, which you know might seem like a leap, but it's not inconceivable. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like a pretty crazy risk to me, and we always knew there was a possibility it would happen. It was a gut punch defeat. Um, let me ask you. Let me finish this first. Uh, you know, I won't say half first section. Any positives to be taken? I, I, I've got. I've got. To, I've got to say, despite despite all of our winding, uh, you know, and all the forelock tugging, and you know, all the uh, chat before, I, I thought Davis and Dyer actually did reasonably well. It wasn't a complete calamity, and like I said, and the, the you know, they were within a few minutes of what would have been an absolutely incredible result, which would have, you know, meant they were still top of the league now, by the way. Uh, so it is incredibly annoying. To me, it's a far more annoying result than Chelsea last week, uh, despite of this kind of being a, this kind of being a knock-on from that. Chelsea, were, to me, was a more annoying performance, but this is a more annoying result. But, you know, everyone's different. Boo! Boo! Get off! Boo! This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, I'm delighted to say, Charlie Eckershare and James Moore from The Athletic. Yeah, just a quick note on some, on the team we're following as a second team here. If Spurs were hit by a late goal at Molyneux, uh, then Skelmersdale under Pascal Chimbonda had the opposite experience. They got a 96-minute equaliser to draw with Chatterton. Listeners' questions poured in. Um, this was uh, back to the Wolves game, really. Um, Dan Thomas asks, will Ange jettison Dyer and Hoiberg as starters as quickly as he did Skip and Emerson after Brentford? Seems like both were the most guilty of being, quote, conservative, uh, as he called out post-match. The problem here, Charlie, is um, it was easy to replace Dyer and Hoiberg after Brentford because they had a full squad of players to choose from. Right now, though, it's a question of what, who, you know, who would replace them. Benton Kerr, I suppose, will get fit and eventually replace Hoiberg. Yeah, all the Celso. Yep. Uh, would replace Hoiberg. If, if he was going to do that, he'd have done it at Wolves, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think Hoiberg kind of was started in recognition of how well he'd come on and how committed he'd been in the Chelsea game. Um, so I don't know. That's bonkers to me, Charlie. Uh, if that's true, that's bonkers. Well, yeah, I, 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 I don't know that to be the case. But well, surely it's down to Benson Kerr's fitness as much as anything else, like him not being ready to start the game, presumably. True, but he could have played Lo in this game. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he could have played me in this game if he wanted to, but I mean, I'm not in the squad. I'm not. I'm not in the squad. You'd have brought some height to the defence, which would have been good. And then, Dyer, I mean, Dyer. I don't know. I mean, I agree with James. I think Dyer and Davis did pretty well. It's only two more games now until Romero comes back. Um, yeah, I mean, he, the the option is he plays Phillips, and you know, we 
we were told early on that that you know was a possibility. The the way he spoke about Phillips or in Friday's presser, I mean, he you know he doesn't often give loads away about that sort of thing, but he was very much like, yeah, he'll get his chance um, when he's ready. Whether that will be in two weeks' time, I don't know. So yeah, I, th- I think the, there's quite a clear difference there, as you say. Emerson and Skip lost their places after <laughs> they were replaced by Porro and Saar, who were have been brilliant and are outstanding players. You know, he and had options then that he doesn't have now. I mean, I you, you know, if if you're talking about replacing Dyer um, with Phillips, Donington, whoever, then you're really telling me we're going to go into a Premier League game with say Phillips and Davis as centre backs. Um, at least Eric Dyer has the experience, and I know some of the experience in the last year have been negative, but that that's over a course of a long, long, long career where he has largely stood four square, admittedly with perhaps better defenders, you know, when Jan and Toby were his colleagues in a three, or he was backing them up in a in a two. Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jettisoning Dyer any time too soon. Um, this is a kind of this is from. Rickolus, and we've kind of done this already, but let's take it away from the Wolves game. Uh, with all the problems on display right now, and let's remember they are two points off the lead and um, in fourth place, though they have got some choppy waters ahead. Let's be honest about that. Um, Rickolus asks, what are the sources of optimism that we can cling to? He puts in, aka, help me cope. And the number of people who seem to use this podcast as a kind of psychological crutch bothers me because just as I have no medical qualifications nor do I have any psychology qualifications. What What's the optimism? The coming of the transfer window, Romero getting back, though, of course, he could do the same thing again, couldn't he, in the, in the first game back, couldn't he? Yeah, Romero and Udogi will be back pretty soon. Um, and they're def- you know, then, obviously, they'd only be missing Van der Vette. They were missing three out of their four defensive starters. That's pretty huge. You'd think with one, admittedly, a very important part of that defence missing... Uh, they could go back to looking a lot more solid. As James at Benton Coor, you know, he's he's going to be back, hopefully able to start games soon. And he's someone who Spurs have missed massively. He hasn't played, you know, hasn't started a game for nine months. It's a long time. So that's someone who you think could elevate this team. I mean, I, ha- I mean, Rich Allison, I mean, I, I, you know, this might sound daft to say after everything that's happened so far this season, but like, I, I really do think you, he could be. You could have just chucked him in to the mix, and I, and I, there were so many players missing, players that made a way bigger contribution. But I do genuinely think if, if he was available, that could have made all the difference on Saturday. I mean, I think so. We're thinking it's like a month for him. So I mean, I don't know if there's any possibility he's back for like West Ham, Newcastle. Well, Postecoglou said he's out for a month, so hopefully should be back soon after the international break. So I don't know if that means actually it'll be, it won't quite be a month, in which case, yeah, that West Ham-Newcastle pair of games, may, maybe um, he'd be targeting. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the thing is as well to say is that if it is top five that get into the Champions League, which, by the way, everyone would have absolutely taken at the start of the season, Champions League qualification, that would have actually far exceeded the vast majority of people's expectations. They are five points clear of United in sixth. Um, so they've given themselves a bit of margin you know even if they do have a really tough six weeks or so coming up if they if they can still be in that and you know in that fight by the time madison and van der ven come back they'll have a they'll have a really good chance of getting top five still other teams are going to drop points as well in in uh, in the next like few weeks or so i mean if we are still looking upwards a little bit it's man city liverpool uh 
Newcastle home to Chelsea, resurgent spit Chelsea. Uh, Manchester United going to Everton, who are in good form now. Actually, you know, United have been scraping results, but I think that would be a very tough game for them. And obviously Spurs are playing Villa. So, uh, you know, even drawing that game against Villa, I think would probably keep Spurs in a pretty good position. Well, the next the next four games are home to Aston Villa, away to Manchester City, home to West Ham and home to Newcastle. So they play um, in the next four games, yeah, three out of four at home and four against the teams in the top half of the table. And I guess without ever abandoning his principles, Postacoglu is a football coach with, with a great reputation. He'll probably try and find a combination and a way of playing to get some points out of those games. So they do look very tough on paper. be interesting to see how the homeness of these games matters with Spurs because I think if that game against Wolves, even with that 11, which as I said, I saw it on paper, I thought that's not going to win many away games in the Premier League. At home, of course, for whatever reasons, we must get a penalty soon. Have we had a penalty this season? Don't think we have, have we? Can we see an opposition player booked during 90 minutes as well? That's two games in a row, I think, where no opposition player has been booked until added time at the end of the second half. I Nori must have been because he got, he got, and Gomez, they got booked and they came off after 87. Oh, here we go. Have I messed up? Here comes fact, boy. The doctor tell you that. <laughs> nah, no, that's wrong. According to Soccerbase, they both got booked According and they both went off after 87 minutes. Flash score? Well, you decide, listener, do you prefer flash score or Soccerbase? Um, anyway, it has felt, I mean, this is obviously mad fan paranoia, but it has felt since Liverpool that uh, we haven't really been getting the run in the green with the officials in, in the kind of mid-range decisions and there's not been any kind of major clangor and obviously Wolves have had some terrible ones go against them in previous games it's just felt a bit like we've not seen many bookings for opposition players in the last few games Palace Chelsea uh, at Wolves it definitely felt like a couple of players have been booked in, in the meat of the game when it really mattered once again quiz king James Moore to the rescue Dawson booked in the 95th minute Doherty in the 96th and Ike Nouri in the 99th minute of the game, according to whichever um, base or score um, that is. My, my thing says that they were those two players, Gomez and Ike Nouri, were booked in the 98th minute, not on the pitch. Were they booked running on the pitch for the second goal? Ah, that must be it. That's The mystery is solved. <sighs> to support James Point, only getting booked for nonsense stuff when the game's basically done. Okay, well, it, 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 let's be fair. It was not an, uh, a, a great weekend, for, for a great week for Spurs, um, even if it was for the view from the lane. Um, let me thank you as well for listening to us. Um, thanks to James and to Charlie as well. Reminder that the show has its own official home on Twitter at VFTL Podcast, or you can email us uh, more straightforwardly at VFTL at theathletic.com. And for the brilliant Spurs coverage, it's the best anywhere. Make sure you sign up to The Athletic itself. Take advantage of the latest offer of just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. International break means that we'll be uh, away from you till Thursday week. Uh, next Thursday, as you might call it. And we'll get stuck back into um, what Spurs are going to do. And maybe have a look at the transfer window in January and how much more important it may or may not have become. Uh, due to recent circumstances. Till then, see you. God bless you all. Cheers. The Athletic.